welcome to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Today we're going to be covering chapters 22 through 24 of Exodus. Before we get into the reading, I want to start off with a prayer today. Dear God, we know that the first step in all spiritual healing is to believe, and we believe. We open our minds and hearts, believing in your infinite power and possibility. We believe that healing is a dynamic and reachable experience, a reality that can be experienced right now. We maintain a patient and loving attitude, for we believe that your healing activity is now at work in our minds and bodies. We look forward with joyful expectation to the perfect wholeness that you are now bringing into manifestation through us. We believe in your constant expression of perfect good in and through us. We rest in the certainty of your healing power. We know that with you all things are possible. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So today we'll we'll jump right into chapter 22, Protection of Property. If someone steals an ox or sheep and then kills or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each oxen stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed, In the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave to pay for his theft. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is found in the thief's possession, the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. If an animal is grazing in a field or vineyard and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay compensation for the, from the best of his own grain or grapes. If you are burning thorn bushes and the fire gets out of control and spreads into another person's field, destroying the sh- sheaves or uncut grain or the whole crop, the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crop. Suppose someone leaves money or goods with a neighbor for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house. If the thief is caught, the compensation is double the value of what was stolen. But if the thief is not caught, the neighbor must appear before God who will determine if he stole the property. Suppose there is a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or any lost property. Both, par- pro- both parties must come before God, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double compensation to the other. Now suppose someone leaves a donkey, ox, sheep, or any other animal with a neighbor for safekeeping, but it dies or is injured or is taken away, and no one sees what happened. The neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord. If the Lord confirms that the neighbor did not steal the property, the owner must accept the verdict. 
and no payment will be required. But if the animal was indeed stolen, the guilty person must pay compensation to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the evidence, sorry, the remains of the carcass must be shown as evidence and no compensation will be required. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. But if the owner was present, no compensation is required. And no compensation is required if the animal was rented, for this loss is covered by the rental fee. Social responsibility. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to anyone and has sex with her, he must pay the customary bride price and marry her. But if her father refuses to let him marry her, the man must still pay him an amount equal to the bride price of a virgin. You must not allow a sorcerer a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must certainly be put to death. Anyone who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a window or an orphan, a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep with it without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. You must not dishonor God or curse any of your rulers. You must not hold anything back when you give me offerings from your crops and your wine. You must give me your firstborn sons. You must also give me the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats. Believe the newborn animal with its mother for seven days. Then give it to me on the eighth day. You must be my holy people. Therefore, do not eat any animal that has been torn up and killed by wild animals. Throw it to the dogs. Here in chapter 22, these regulations concerning restitution for property losses are related to the issues of personal boundaries and accountability. Personal boundaries and property should always be respected and restitution should be made when such boundaries are violated or property is destroyed. Accountability for actions that violate others is an important part of God's plan for society. There are certain kinds of behavior that are abominable to God and brutally inhumane. God has set clear boundaries in such cases and demands our accountability to them. The Apostle Paul implied that such behavior, which is totally devoid of faith and commitment to God, is not only self-destructive, but also erotis and very fabric of society. Chapter 23, A Call for Justice.
You must not pass along false rumors. You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong when you are called to testify in a dispute. Do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. And do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey, then ask straight away, take it back to its owner. If you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk. Instead, stop and help. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. Be sure never to charge anyone falsely with evil. Never sentence an innocent or blameless person to death, for I never declare a guilty person to be innocent. Take no bribes, for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. You must not oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be a foreigner, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Plant and harvest your crops for six years, but let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. Pay close attention to all my instructions. You must not call on the name of any other gods. Do not even speak their names. Three annual festivals. Each year you must celebrate three festivals in, all, in my honor. First, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring, in the month of Abib. For that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. No one may appear before me without an offering. Second, celebrate the festival of harvest when you bring me the first crops of your harvest. Finally, celebrate the festival of final harvest. At the end of the final harvest, at the end of the harvest season, when you have harvested all the crops from your fields, at these three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the Sovereign, the Lord. You must not offer the blood of my sacrificial offerings together with any baked goods containing yeast, and do not leave the fat from the festival offerings until the next morning. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord, your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. A promise of the Lord's presence. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Pizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. You must not worship the gods of, those, of these nations or serve them in any way, or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, 
I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people whose lands you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. I will send terror ahead of you and to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and threaten you. I will drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. And I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the eastern wilderness to the Euphrates River. I will hand over to you the pillow now living in the land, the people now living in the land, and you will drive them out ahead of you. Make no treaties with them or their gods. They must not live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, you will be caught in the trap of idolatry. So there's a lot to unpack in chapter 23. In the first eight verses, this section is basically an expansion of chapter 20, verse 16, which prohibits false testimony. The truth eventually comes out. So honesty is not only the right policy, but also the smart one. Even if someone seems to be getting away with lies for a time, that person must still answer to God. In the end, he will be held accountable. In uh, verse 10 through 19, God gave instructions concerning Sabbath regulations and annual festivals for several reasons. First, these events were a time for worship, faith, and renewed commitment to God. Second, they were object lessons that pictured important spiritual truths for God's people. Third, they were times for rest. They protected God's people from overwork and imbalance. These events were designed to strengthen the people's health spiritually, emotionally, physically. We also need regular times of worship, reflection, and rest. God promised the Israelites the protection of his angel and the instructions necessary for living wisely as they journey toward the promised land. As we enter a new way of life, God does the same for us. He is able to lead and protect us in ways we will never know about. And he has given us his word, which contains instructions for living according to his plan. If we do as he says and look to him for help, we will experience the fulfillment of his promises. And lastly, in verse 32 through 33, the temptations of life within the promised land serve as a vivid illustration of how proper standards and boundaries can be tragically forgotten. The Israelites were warned about the tendency to make a good, clean start, but then compromise values and goals. They were warned not to make treaties with the people of the land. They were to push them out, replacing them with communities of their own. It is easy to make a good start, but then compromise, allowing certain quote-unquote little practices to go unchecked. In the end, these things will spell disaster, eroding the new lives we have started to build. 
Chapter 24 Israel accepts the Lord's covenant. Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people were allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up twelve pillars, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelites' men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue, lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, Stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and Hur are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I am gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. The glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Here in chapter 24, verses 9 through 11, one of the best ways for us to see ourselves as we actually are is to gain a clear view of God and His glorious person. The person who tends to glorify himself will quickly change his ways if he gets even a glimpse of God's awesome glory. On the other hand, the person who devalues himself needs to understand that he is made in God's image, and that if he is a Christian, he is destined to be in God's glorious presence forever. One glimpse of God and His glory will remove both our pride and self-deprecation allowing us to see the truth about ourselves.
in the first um, in the first eight verses of this chapter, we see that although Israel's response to God's covenant was the same as before, they were now beginning to quote unquote count the cost of their commitment to God. At this point, they were called upon to make sacrifices to him as they saw the animals slaughtered and heard their cries. Surely they were reminded of how costly their redemption from Egypt had been. It was a clear reminder of God's gracious forgiveness, for God allowed these animals to die as payment for the people's infractions of the law. We should feel similar gratitude as we think of Jesus on the cross and realize that we are the ones who should have been there. So today we saw that God talks more about the laws for restitution directing his people toward a civil, just society that treats others with respect and honors life. He unpacks specific implications of the Ten Commandments. For instance, a thief often has to pay back more than he stole, so the consequences serve as deterrents. These laws may feel intimidating if you're the one committing the sin, but if you're the victim, it's easier to appreciate why God establishes these laws. He protects female virgins by threatening several years' wages from the men who take advantage of them. This isn't referring to rape. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 25 says the penalty for rape is death. This law refers to seduction that leads to consensual sex. God also forbids charging interest. Most interest rates in those days started at 25%. But guess who borrows money? The needy. God says it's cruel to increase the burden of one of his needy kids. Instead, he emphasizes compassion toward the poor. He says to care for sojourners, widows, and orphans. He shows special attention to the most vulnerable. He teaches his people to love each other and not exploit each other. They have a lot to learn, to unlearn about behavior. They've been oppressed. They've lived with a scarcity mentality. So he reminds them to be compassionate because he is compassionate. To be open-handed because he's their provider. Then he addresses sorcery like the divination we've seen before. God takes it seriously. It's punishable by death. These practices engage with spirits for guidance and power, spirits who aren't on God's team. When people seek answers from the enemy instead of God, it's not only idolatry, it's treason against the kingdom of light. God orders death for anyone who practices this or lures people into the web of wickedness. He aims to protect his people from the enemy the enemy's subtle deceptions. He's also attentive to the enemy's tactics when it comes to the land he's giving his kids. He says to break the stone pillars the pagans have set up and drive out anyone who worships other gods. In fact, he'll even do some of that driving out on his own. It's important to note that 
this distinction has nothing to do with race, but it has everything to do with idolatry. We know this because sojourners are welcomed, but not those who worship other gods. God is preserving his family for the birth of the Messiah. There are lots of people who say they worship God, but who also acknowledge the power and validity of other gods. This is called monolatry, a hybrid of monotheism and idolatry. While, we never, while he never denies other gods exist, and in fact, he seems to indicate in the first commandment that they do, he continues to point out that Israel's loyalty must be to him alone. All other gods are false gods, lesser gods, demon gods, idols, and they're impotent before Yahweh. Monotheism affirms that Yahweh is the one true God. He ordains three feasts that serve as reminders of his provision. We've seen the Feast of Unleavened Bread before, and today we see the Feast of Harvest and the Feast of Ingathering. These are both feasts of thanks and trust. They celebrate God's provision at the start, at the end, and the end of the harvest season. And their feasting shows they trust God to keep providing for them in the future. When the people enter into this covenant with God at Mount Sinai, agreeing to do all he says, Moses offers a sacrifice and throws blood on them. While this sounds disturbing, it's likely a symbol that they're tied to the covenant, much like when God had Abraham split the animals in half and then pass between them. Also, being sprinkled with blood often symbolized being purified and atoned for. It actually foreshadows Christ's death covering us. Then Moses ascends the mountain. God is so protective of his people, but he also commands them to show kindness to those who considers who they those they consider enemies or those who hate them. This is the whole reason we're in a relationship with him to begin with. We all started out at his, uh, we all started out at, as his enemies. And this is how he treated us with mercy and compassion. Stepping into our need despite the fact that we've waged war against him with our sin and rebellion. He is God who pursues his enemies and turns them into his family. He's where the joy is. I just want to leave you all off again with the daily devotional. Worship me in the beauty of holiness. All true beauty reflects some of who I am. I am working my ways in you, the divine artist creating loveliness within your being. My main work is to clear out debris and clutter, making room for my spirit to take full possession. Collaborate with me in this effort by being willing to let go of anything I choose to take away. I know what you need, and I have promised to provide all of that abundantly. Your sense of security must not rest in your possessions or in things going your way. I am training you to depend on me alone, finding fulfillment in my presence. This entails being satisfied with much or with little accepting either as my will for the moment. Instead of grasping and controlling, you are learning to release and receive. Cultivate this receptive stance by trusting me in every situation. Amen.
thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Bible Podcast. I hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every 